0: Today is Tuesday, August the 17th, 2010. We have another opportunity to grow in grace and knowledge, so we're going to take advantage of it. First of all, we'll have a few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this time You've given us to put the pieces together so we can have a very clear picture of what You have revealed in Your Word for what lies ahead. Moreover, the admonitions to us to stand firm, to be alert, to wake up, to be soldiers for You in the now. So we pray that You will help us to understand these things while we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll turn your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter five, verse four. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse four. <clears throat> We noticed in chapter 5 a, a very important change takes place. Chapter 4 is re- referring to believers and detailed information about Jesus Christ's return to planet Earth where we will meet Him in the clouds. Then in chapter 5, it starts referring to unbelievers in the day of the Lord, and it starts making a lot of comparisons between day and night, light and darkness. It's important for us to understand what that is referring to. And I made uh, last time a very uh, sharp distinction that when it's talking about day and night and light and darkness, it's not referring to spiritual light and darkness for believers. Because there are times when we are in fellowship and we are the light of the world as we should be. But at other times, we can choose to get on the dark side experientially, and you can't tell us from an unbeliever then. But this is not what these comparisons are about. And I'm going to go over just a, a few of the things I gave you last time to make sure that you realize that these are sharp distinctions between believers and unbelievers. And it it's, has to do with what we would call the uh, positional sense, not experiential. So, if you can look up here, or you can follow in your Bible, First Thessalonians chapter five, verse four through six. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night or darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. You can see there's a lot of distinctions given there, a lot of comparisons. Of course, he's talking to believers here. He says, but you, brethren, and now we have a word of contrast. Again, this is between those who are going to experience the day of the Lord, which will be believers from the day of the Lord begins. There will be nothing but unbelievers. Did I say believers or unbelievers? Did I say it right? Okay, well, I don't remember whether I did or not, but I'll say it right this time. The day of the Lord, there will be nothing but unbelievers on planet earth. And they are of darkness. They are of the night. This is the the contrast that Paul is giving us here. We've already gone into great detail about the day of the Lord. It will begin when God starts pouring out His wrath upon unbelievers... He, he does that because it is a righteous and just thing to do. But we can't have to remember it also is what is going to be necessary for Israel finally to be humbled and accept their Messiah. <clears throat> Believers are sons of light who will not be surprised by that day, referring to the day of the Lord, because they will be with the Lord. They won't be here. So we are not of darkness. And we're going to be delivered from that uh, day of the Lord. Are not, in that verse, is a me, e i e I M I, and it's the present active indicative. We continue not to be in darkness. Now, a believer who is carnal, who has sinned and has not confessed that sin, is, you could say, maybe in temporary spiritual darkness, but he is always... In light, in the, in the positional sense, because he is the son of light. he's the son of the day. That's the distinctions we have to make clear. Acts twenty six eighteen, Paul said to open their, meaning the believer's eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. That's what you do when you believe in Jesus Christ all of us are in the domain of satan we have an old sin nature and we are spiritually dead and something has to change and that change takes place when we believe in Jesus Christ we leave the domain of darkness which is satan is in control and we turn to the light the light of the world which is Jesus Christ so it says <clears throat> excuse me continuing acts 26:18 that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins this by, by believing the gospel and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. What kind of sanctification is that? Is that positional or experiential? Positional, isn't it? It's all, this is the positional sense, not experiential. John 8:12. 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, in that verse, look at that verse. He said, I am the light of the world, which he is. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Is that experiential or positional there? It's experiential, isn't it? Walking, peripateo, the manner of life. He who Follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. What is that? That's positional, isn't it? You have this. You continually have it. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Notice He's talking about From the darkness transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, into the kingdom of light, if you will. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were formerly darkness. Notice this very carefully. It doesn't say you were formerly in darkness. It says you were formerly darkness. But now you are not in the light, but you are light in the world. Now, So far in that verse, what are we talking about? Positionally or experientially? It's positionally, isn't it? You were positionally in darkness. You were an unbeliever, spiritually dead. But, I'm so thankful for that but there. Now you are light in the world. If you are a believer and you are carnal and you haven't grown up and you're acting exactly like an unbeliever are you still light in the world in a positional sense? Yes, you are. Huh? Light in the Lord. Well, it's the same. I can't read. It's the, it's the same It's the same thing there, though. Uh, but you are now light in the Lord or in the world. Either way, we, the Bible does say we are the light of the world. That's positional. Now, watch it change here. Thank you, Michael, for pointing that out. Uh, walk as children of light. Now what is that? That's experiential. You see how you have to you have to have your radar out all the time. Even in one verse, it can switch from experiential. I mean, uh, uh, from uh, positional to experiential. I've seen a verse that go from positional to experiential, back to positional, back to experiential in one verse. So you understand how important it is for you to understand positional sanctification. Believers are called the light of the world in Matthew five fourteen. And I've already made the comparison. Even if you are a, a believer, that is the worst believer that ever came along, you're still the light of the world positionally. But you wouldn't be experientially if you were in carnality. Then we have Amos five eighteen through 20. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose? Remember I said this is sarcastic. He's saying, <laughs> it's like your mother coming to you and saying, uh, do you want that belt? Do you want that paddle? Is that, what you're, is that what you're desiring? He's saying, alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. And when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him or goes home and leans on his hand against the wall and the snake bites him, Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? You see brightness, light, and calamity of, uh, as adverse to blessing. All these stark contradictions, are not contradictions, but comparisons as to believers and unbelievers in the day of the Lord versus the rapture. Unbelievers scoff at the idea that Jesus is coming back to earth to take the believers back with Him and the idea that He will judge the world for its stiff-necked rejection of Himself. In fact, this is what they were saying back in Peter's day. He writes about this, and they're saying the same thing today. This is what they were saying. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying... Where is the promise of His coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep? Notice, asleep, fathers. These are believers. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. This is the mantra of unbelievers. They say, you Christians are always saying such and such is going to happen. What is this business about the rapture? What is about this about Jesus Christ coming again? What is all this prophecy about... Israel, well, I don't think they want to bring that one up, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Uh, The prophecy of Israel being brought back to the land, it's already happened in our day. It has been fulfilled right under our own nose, and that's just a hint of things to come. That the day should overtake you like a thief. The rapture will end the day of grace and begin the day of the Lord again. It is going to be as different as night and day. It closes one day and opens another. Paul was encouraging the Thessalonian believers not to worry about the day of the Lord and how it would uh, overtake them like a thief. And the simile used here, like a thief, that's a figure of speech, a simile, connects this verse with verse 2, where the same simile is used. So when you get to here, uh, it's, it's talking about the same day because you have the same simile used here. In verse 2, Paul added the phrase in the night to like a thief. So in in, uh, verse 2, he says like a, a, a thief in the night. Night is a modifier that contributes to the sense of surprise at the thief's coming. Night is darkness which describes the spiritual darkness of unbelievers who will be caught by surprise. So, He's setting it up in these first four, a few verses here for what he's going to expand on in the, in the next few verses we're going to get to. That's why he says he's going to come like a thief in the night. Can a thief come in the day? Yes. If a thief came during the day, would you be surprised? Yes. But if he came in the night, it's even worse because you can't tell what the heck is going on and you're probably going to be asleep. And all this has to do with the comparisons that he's going to make in the next few verses. Paul did not apply the implication of a thief analogy to believers. They were, in fact, specifically excluded. The reason is the Lord's coming will not be as a thief in the night to believers. I hope it's not going to be a thief in the night to you because... We're looking for the Lord's return. Believers expect expect it even though we don't know when that day will arrive. And we're going to get some more verses seeing how we should be anxiously anticipating Christ's return. So if you're anxiously anticipating something, it's not going to catch you by surprise. And so we are of the light. So why could Paul tell the believers of Thessalonica that they would not be overcome by the day? The day of the Lord, that is, because they were not in spiritual darkness like unbelievers. Now, get this. This is, this is the point. I went all this in this review to get to here. I'm going to ask the question again. So why did Paul tell the believers of Thessalonica that they would not be overcome by the day? The day there, meaning the day of the Lord. Because they were not in spiritual darkness like unbelievers. That's the answer. Paul called them sons of light, sons of the day, meaning that they were believers exempt from that day. Look at this. Unbelievers do not believe Jesus Christ is coming back to earth either to take believers back with Him to heaven, that would be at the rapture, are to judge the world of unbelievers with their stiff-necked rejection. We went over that already. We went over the mockings, for you are sons of light. This is in verse 5. Now, oh, here's here's the the pivotal part that I was trying to get to. Verse 5. He says, for you are all sons of light. Now, this is where the positional sense really is important, and it very much stands out. But listen to this. Paul did not mean that believers would go through the day of the Lord, but that they would not be caught off guard when it comes because they were sons of light. Do you understand that? Because that's what some people would allege. They would allege, well, Paul's not saying they're going to be exempt from the day of the Lord. He's just saying, yeah, they're going to go through the day of the Lord, but it's not going to catch them by surprise. Now, that is a false notion. But there are some that would allege this. And if if that was the case, if a person would assert that believers will have to go through the day of the Lord, but it won't catch them off guard, they would be talking about an experiential sense. Do you see this? In other words, they would be alert. They would be doctrinally uh, uh, alert. They would be spiritually on, on target because they would be anticipating it. You understand why I'm saying that it's the positional sense that's so important? Because if you make it the experiential sense, you could say, well, it doesn't mean that they're going to be exempt. It just means that they're not going to be caught off guard when it comes. They're going to be alert. They're going to be exper- experiencing it, but they just it won't catch them by surprise. And what I'm showing you here is I'm countering that with the fact that this is a positional sense, not experiential. It's not going to catch them off base. It's not going to catch them off base like a thief because they are spiritually alert and they still have to go through it. No, it's not going to catch them at all because, in a positional sense, they're not going to be here because they're believers. Here we go, right here. That term, sons of light, does not refer to a temporary status of being filled with the Holy Spirit or being spiritually alert. That's what someone would allege if they were trying to make the case that we are, believers are going through the day of the Lord. It is not experiential, but positional. I have at least two reasons here. First of all, it says we are all sons of light. And you know as well as I do that all church age believers, they're in Christ as per what? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a positional issue. That's what it's talking about here. But there is no point in time that all believers are spiritual, filled with the Holy Spirit. There's not a time when all believers are being spiritually alert. Impossible. It couldn't happen. You couldn't even take a small number like we have here and say, all of them are going to be alert for any length of time and filled with hope. We don't know that. We don't even know that about ourselves. How are we going to know it about other believers? That's the first point because it says all are sons of life. And that's the positional sense. The second thing, the Greek word for sons is huios, H-U-I-O-S, and refers to adult sons. At times we may be experientially babies, that would be brephos, but positionally we are huios, adult sons. In 1 first, first, um, Corinthians chapter 3, We have Paul coming down on the Corinthian believers because he said, you should already be teaching, and yet you still need milk because you're still babies. And he used brephos. They were experientially brephos babies, but positionally they were huihos, adult sons. And the fact that he uses adult sons here shows that this is a positional sense. And so if it's a positional sense, it can't mean that the day of the Lord is going to not catch us as a thief in the night because we are alert spiritually. No, it can't keep catch us like a thief in the night because we are in Christ and everybody that's in Christ is gone out of the rapture before the day of the Lord comes. That's why I'm going slow. That's why I'm going to re- I'm repeating it so you will understand why I was making such a big deal about this being positional rather than experiential. Sons of light are not identified with the darkness of the day of the Lord Are the unbelievers who will suffer through it because of their spiritual darkness. We are not identified with unbelievers at all, nor their spiritual darkness, nor the fact that they are the ones that are going to experience the day of the Lord. They are the ones that is going to catch them like a thief in the night. They are the ones that are going to be saying, Peace and safety when God drops the hammer on them. We won't be here. And then we went through and the sons of the day. They are sons of the day of grace, the church age, that's our dispensation, not the sons of night, which will characterize the last seven years of the age of the Jews. That's darkness. When the day of the Lord comes, the first seven years, is going to be darkness, calamity, judgment. It's going to be worse than there ever any time before or any time after. Then Christ is going to come and there's going to be complete opposite. It's going to be blessing. The curse of the earth is going to be removed. It's going to be wonderful. We are not of night nor of darkness. God has called us out of the darkness according to 1 Peter 2.9. We are sons of the day. There would be no reason for him, that would be God, to put us through the dark night of the day of the Lord, which is designed to punish unbelievers. That's why they're there. They have rebelled, rejected Jesus Christ, and, God, and they have. This is they are essentially Satan's emissaries. They are in his domain, and God is going to say, "Okay, the time has come." I'm bringing the deed, I'm breaking the seals, and I'm going to take planet Earth back. And everybody that sides with Satan is going to fall under the punishment. Satan himself is going to be punished, tossed off the planet Earth when Jesus Christ returns second Advent. This was just uh, a verse that I gave you to show that there was the day of the Lord has hit before in a sense. In this particular time, it was the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans uh, God used in order to move against Israel because they were stiff-necked and rebelling. And this is Zephaniah 1, 14 through 15. Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation. Look at that, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now, that day of the Lord fell upon them. This was a prophecy saying, it's going to come. You better listen. Did they listen? No, they did not. And this has a far meaning in the far future from that day of when the day of the Lord is going to come. And it's going to be exactly the same thing. This is what, when Paul was talking about the day of darkness and he was describing it, it sounds like he's talking about what they were experiencing, but he's not. It's already happened to them. He's talking about what's coming next as the day of the Lord. So this Zephaniah 1.14 had a near meaning referring to what was going to happen to the Jews when the Nebuchadnezzar moved against them, but it also has a further meaning, which is yet future. Now we're out of the plowed field and we start plowing new fields here. Are y'all ready? There's some really neat stuff here. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Well, you think, okay, that's nice, let's move on. Oh, wait a minute. There's a lot more here. Let's look at it closely. First of all, now we get to the experiential part. Everything up to here has been positional, but now he's talking to believers and he he starts getting into the experiential, as we'll see. So he says, so then, and that could be translated with this in mind, with everything in mind that he's been giving, recognizing that believers are sons of day, sons of light of the world, then certainly... We should behave accordingly. That's what he's saying here. With all this in mind, you're sons of the day, you're sons of light, and you're not going to be caught by the day of the Lord. It's not going to be surprising you. You're not going to be here. Therefore, with that in mind, how about behaving like it? How about acting the way you should as a royal priest, royal ambassador? He says, let us not sleep. Now, this word for sleep here Open your Bibles. I want you to make some notes in your Bible here for these words because it will help uh, eliminate confusion. He says, let us not sleep. And the word sleep here is interesting. The word here is kathudo, K-A-T-H-E-U-D-O. It's a verb and it's the present active, active subjunctive. He says, let us not keep on sleeping as way it would be really pronounced. And notice that he's talking about us now. He's even including himself. This is directed to believers. He's still with the darkness part. What's going to happen to them? What did this word, what did this start out with? So then let us, he's talking about believers, not sleep. Now this word can mean to sleep as when one goes to bed or it can mean to be asleep spiritually. Here it means to be complacent or to be unalert spiritually. And so in this in this word here, and if you have room in your Bible in the margin somewhere, just write in Kathudo K A T H E U D O. Now, the reason I'm giving you this is because here is a distinction. It is not used here as the sleep in the sense of dying as it is in 1 Corinthians 15.51 or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 15. The Greek word used there is koimao, K-O-I-M-A-O, koimao, which means to lie down outstretched, to lie down to sleep. In other words, he is not referring here to physical death. Remember when I was telling you that when you see uh, believers when they die, the the New Testament doesn't say, well, they're dead. He says they they slept or they're asleep. That is the word koimao. And you can get the idea because koimao actually means to stretch out, lay down. And you could just lay down because you're tired, but a lot, you know most of the time you lay down and you sleep. And that would be the proper word for someone who is going to die. They would lay them out and they would look like they're asleep. But that's not the word we're using here. The word we use here is one that you would just normally use a cathudo, which means either just laying down and sleeping or else it can also mean spiritually Asleep, which is what it means here. (coughs) Present active subjunctive. Why do you think it's in the subjunctive? Maybe they will. They still can be, even believers can be spiritually asleep. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. And this is definitely talking about spiritual sleep. Being unalert, being spiritually lethargic. Paul included himself in this admonition by using the pronoun, personal pronoun, "us." Romans. And now, here's a, a. I'm going to give you a couple of verses that parallel this, and they are fantastic verses. Romans chapter thirteen, verse eleven. And do and this do. Knowing that the time, look at the word, Greek word there for time. Kairos. Remember that? K-A-I-R-O-S. Remember Paul saying, there's no reason for you, for me to tell you about the, uh, times and the ethics. The word there for times was chronos. The big, in, chrono- in chron- uh, chronology, in several uh, dispensations. And the ethics there is the word we have here which is kairos, which means a specific, usually a more defined time, which you could easily see that he's talking about. The defined time would be the church age. And this do, knowing that the time, which is the church age, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from the sleep. What kind of sleep? What the, I didn't put it here, but you know the word here for sleep? Which one would it be? Would it be cathudo or kamaio? Cthudo, yeah, spiritually asleep. He's not talking about it, it's not time to awaken from your being dead. So he said that it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For now, salvation, and here the word is soteria, which can mean eternal salvation, or it can just mean deliverance. And that's what it means here. He's talking about the deliverance. We're talking about the rapture is nearer to us than we believe. Won't you turn to that verse and put a little marker there? Uh, we're going to go over verse 12 also. <clears throat> Romans 13:11 <clears throat> Now, look look at some of the words in here that we've already that we're using. We have the time kairos which we use in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1. <clears throat> now we have awaken from your sleep which is what we've been looking at in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 6. It says now for the for now uh, for now the salvation, your deliverance is nearer to us than we believe. <clears throat> and we're going to go to to the next verse in a moment, chapter, I mean, verse 12, and it's going to talk about darkness and light. You see how it parallels? Now, I want to hasten to say that this verse, Paul pinned this, what, 2,000 years ago? And he was already telling believers then that they better awake from their sleep, their spiritual lethargy, for the deliverance, that is the rapture, is nearer to us than we believed. Now, that speaks imminency. Paul, in his mind, thought that it is nearer than they thought, and it could happen at any time. That's the purifying aspect of the doctrine of imminency, that it tends to make a person want to be on his toes spiritually if you think that Jesus Christ could pop in at any time. But we're not through. Look at verse 12. We'll have a note for this, verse 11. <clears throat> the need for alertness is because our salvation, that would be the ultimate or final salvation, realized at the return of the Savior. And then we have these three verses where it also has to do with the same issue, is nearer now than when we first believed. James chapter 5, verse 8, I'll go over that in a moment. Each passing day in the faith brings final salvation and deliverance closer. That's the idea. And I got that from uh, Walford and Zuck, Dallas Theological Seminary, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. So they recognize also that this verse is talking about the rapture. The deliverance is referring to the rapture. Now look at verse 12. This is what verse 12 says. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Sound familiar? Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Why do you suppose that this is so similar to what he was given in First Thessalonians? Because it's the same author. He was saying the same thing to the Thessalonians that he is now saying to the Romans. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let's just look at that for a moment. Now, the day and night here is used in a somewhat different way. Paul considered the time of Christ's return and the consummation of salvation for our believers in verse 11 as the start of a new day. In other words, when Jesus Christ returns at the rapture, it's going to start a new day. The present time, while Christ is absent and Satan is at work, is described as night in Second Peter chapter 119. Since the day is almost here, Paul urged his readers to put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, the night, in a sense, is on us because Jesus Christ is not here and we're living in the domain of Satan. That's what the night is referring to here. And he's saying the night is almost gone. What does that mean? We're living in the Satan's domain. And he was saying even back then, it's getting close, the night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. What day is at hand? What's he talking about? Well, if you say, well, it's the day of the Lord. oh, Fine, if you don't make it the day of the Lord, that's fine with me. Because before the day of the Lord occurs, there's going to be another day that occurs. That's the rapture. So he says, the night and Satan's whole smear... It's nearly gone. It's almost over. Is that good news? I cannot wait. And the day is at hand. At Listen to that term. is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deed of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, knowing that it's right at hand, we need to lay aside the deeds of darkness, carnality and all that. Put on the armor of light. You know what, you know what he's going to be talking about in 1 Thessalonians? We won't get to it tonight. The next few verses, he's talking about armor of light. Paul considered the time of Christ's return, the consummation of salvation for believers as the start of a new day. I went over that already, but I want to make sure you understand that. Paul was expressing a sense of urgency because Jesus Christ could return at any moment. Listen to these verses. I have giving given you most of these verses, and they're tremendous. Look at James. He says, You, too, be patient. Oh, he got me with that one. Be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord. What is he saying here? Is at hand. Furthermore, he says, do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. The Lord is at hand. The judge is standing at the door. Now, what does that suggest to you? Does that suggest to you that we have to have have to go through the rapture, I mean through the day of the Lord and wait three and a half years and see all these signs, see the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride before Jesus Christ is going to return? Does that sound what it's like what it's suggesting? It's at hand, he's right at the door. Philippians 4 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men the Lord is near. Hebrews 10:25 but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Are you seeing the day drawing near? I see it every day. There's one thing that you can say unequivocally with no argument. Today we're one day closer than we were yesterday. Romans 8, 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. What is he talking about? He's talking about the rapture, isn't he? Groaning within ourselves. We're not the only ones groaning, by the way. The earth itself is groaning. The earth is going to have to groan until Christ returns at the second advent, but not us. Look at that. It says, waiting eagerly for our adoption. 1 Corinthians 1 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Awaiting eagerly. Titus. looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Looking, waiting, anxiously. That's why I get all riled up when someone says, well, you know, the rapture could occur a thousand years from now. I'm thinking, if it could occur a thousand years from now, or if there are certain things that have to take place, certain signs that I will be able to notice before the rapture takes place, then why should I be anxiously anticipating it? If it can't happen till a thousand years, or if it can't happen until certain pronounced things are going to occur, I'm not going to be looking for Christ. I'm going to be looking for those signs. And I don't have to worry about Christ popping in, and here I am caught flat-footed, being in reversionism, Here's a good one right here. This is the next to the last verse in the Bible, Revelation twenty two twenty. The next verse after this one ends the Bible. This is what it says: He who testifies to these things says, "Yes, I come quickly." Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, the I am coming here is one word in the Greek. It's ercomai, erchomai, e r c h o m a i. It's a verb. It's a present deponent indicative. You know what the deponent is? It's just a, it, it has a passive in form, but it's active in meaning. I could just put the present. I'm tempted just when I have a deponent say present active indicative because that's what it is. But technically, it's a deponent. Never mind about that. Here we go. Listen to what it says. The futuristic present tense, which is what Echema is here, Denotes the fact that the rapture has not yet occurred, but it is regarded as so certain it is already, come, as if it is already coming to pass. Hence, the futuristic present emphasizes the imminency of the rapture. Furthermore, the indicative mood is declarative for a dogmatic statement of Bible doctrine, the imminency of the rapture. I got that from R.B. Theme, Jr., class notes on Revelation. So, this Erechimai is a futuristic present tense. And it has the, the, the futuristic present emphasizes the imminency of the rapture and the fact that it is in the indicative mood, declarative for a dogmatic statement, the imminency of the rapture. Then the next word, remember it says up here, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I come... We saw here, I am coming. We, are, we just did that with Eric and I. We have one more word, don't we? Quickly. Let's see what that means. The quickly is the Greek word taku, T-A-C-H-U, and it's an adjective. Actually, it looks like an adverb, and I, I, I straighten this out in a minute. Anyway, uh, it's an accusative singular non, uh, uh, neuter, and it means soon, quickly, or momentarily. That's qualifying time without delay, right away, at once, soon. This was from the analytical lexicon of the Greek New Testament. That definition was. The point is, now, what we have following with the point is a quote. The point is that there is no, and I put in brackets here, church-age doctrine to be fulfilled. No, church-age, in brackets there, prophecy before the rapture occurs. The next item on the agenda of eschatology, the next prophecy, is the rapture itself. That is what is meant by soon, and that came from R.B. Thing Jr., class notes on Revelation. So here, what, we, what we're saying is, quickly means it is the next thing on the agenda for the church. And it can come at any time. Okay, let's stop for just a minute and regroup. We're back in 1 Thessalonians. I was just giving you some verses that had to do with what we were looking at up here, which was, uh, where is it? Got to go way up here. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. All of this I'm getting from there. Now, the reason we want, we don't want to sleep and we want to be sober is because the Lord could come at any time. We want to do that anyway, but that is a a motivating factor. Now, see the word here, others? So then let us not sleep as others. And we went through these other verses that had the sleep, and then we saw how uh, Jesus Christ can come at any time. Now we're going to look at, it says, we are not to sleep as others do. Are you all in 1 Thessalonians now? Look at this word, others. I found this today. And I didn't see anybody else that commented on this, and I don't know why they didn't. I'll sh- you'll see what I'm talking about. The, the Greek word here is loipos, L-O-I-P-O-S. It's an adjective, and it's the non plural masculine. Now, I'm reading from Zodiade's complete word study of the dictionary, New Testament. And Zodiades says loipos... It gives the feminine form, and it gives leipon, which is the adjective form, from leipo. Let me show you where I'm looking at. i am show you. I'm right here. This is the feminine form. This is the neuter form here. It's an adjective, and it's from leipo, L-E-I-P-O. Guys, do you recognize leipo? It's one of the vocabulary words that we looked at. I'm talking to the guys that that are in training. Uh, lapo is a verb, and it means to leave or to lack. You all have heard this word before, especially these ladies have. Have you ever heard of liposuction? Lipo comes from, what does it say here? To leave or lack. When they suck it out, what's left looks better than what was there before. It means to leave. The fat leaves. I assume that's why they call it liposuction. So here we have the word. This is the verb form, lipo. In the English, they would call it lipo, like liposuction. Uh, it means to leave with something remaining. In the plural, the remaining ones. Now, every every one of the translations that I looked at said, The same thing as others do. But don't be caught asleep like the others do. But that doesn't say others. It says the remaining ones. That's what the word means. Now, we're getting somewhere. This is the same Greek word used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Look what that says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Look at that. Koimao, that means the dead kind, stretched out. That you may not grieve as the rest. That's the same word that we have in ours, and it's referring to what? Unbelievers. As the rest who have no hope. Are you all with me so far? I'm still making a case. The expanded translation could read like this. Let us not keep on being spiritually asleep, as are like the remaining ones. You got it? Because that's what the word means that we just went into, which was loipos. Uh, excuse me, L-O-I-P-O-S. Now, here's where I, this is where I'm finally bringing my case to a head here. The context of verse 5 would suggest that the remaining ones in this verse are unbelievers. That's all we've seen is contrasting believers with unbelievers. So, the verse that went before this, when in fact all of them in chapter 5 so far, would say that the not the others, but the remaining ones are referring to unbelievers. It could be referring to unbelievers who remain in spiritual darkness, or it could refer to the unbelievers who remain on earth after the rapture has taken place they will be the ones who will be surprised when talking about unbelievers here the they the unbelievers the, one, the remaining ones are going to be the ones who are who will be surprised when the judgments of the day of the lord breaks up the pseudo peace and safety the antichrist promises and i said wow when i saw that you'd never get that out of just the others, see? Do you see how as others, loipos? And it can, you can translate it as others, but not one of the dictionaries. I looked through five Greek dictionaries, and not one of them just said others. Every one of them had the sense of the remaining ones. We might even say the ones left behind is another way of saying it and i I agree you can only take that argument so far because it could mean the remaining ones mean the ones who are remaining in darkness, the ones who are remaining in spiritual death they're they're not born again so i'm put- I'm just putting the pieces together here, but we are not to sleep like. Not the others, but like the remaining ones. The ones remaining in darkness, or could it mean those remaining on earth after those in light have left? I didn't get that from anybody. I didn't read that anywhere. All I'm doing is taking the Greek from what it says and trying to, in a systematic way, put the pieces together what it very much could could refer to. Certainly it means the remaining ones. And so it could be the we're not asleep. Those who are asleep are who? It's the unbelievers. And the and there it says the remaining ones. So what does it what does it mean, remaining ones? Remaining in spiritual darkness? Yeah, for sure, it means that whether you can take it all the way to mean the ones remaining on earth after we're gone, that's what the unbelievers are going to be. Those who are spiritually asleep are going to be caught by surprise like a thief in the night when Christ comes and it's going to hit them and they are going to be the ones remaining on earth because we're going to be gone. I don't think it's that far of a stretch to make that argument. Then we have the word but again. A lot. It's a conjunction, but contrasting the negative that was just given with the positives that are next. Do you understand the negative that we just had? I what the negative I'm talking about in the sense it's not telling us something to do, it's telling us something not to do. You're just right here. So then let us not sleep. That's the negative that I'm talking about there. As others do, that would mean. Those who re, are remaining. That, now we're at this but right here. But let us be alert and sober. And all I'm saying is that but now is going to contrast the negative what we're not supposed to do to two positives that we are supposed to do. And you have that strong word of Allah, A L L A, which is contrasting all Paul is doing. Boy, you know about somebody that compares and contrasts. That's all he's doing here. He's comparing. Night and day, darkness and light. Now he's giving us, don't do this, but do this. Where am I? We covered all that. Can you believe that? But that's at the bottom of the page. And I think that's a good place to stop. Because uh, when I get into let us be alert, we have the Greek word Gregorio. Uh, That's some neat things coming up about that too. I have a friend named Greg. And he he really is uh, commiserate with this word. Gregorio means to be alert. It means to be watchful. And so Gregory, that's what the word Gregory means, is one that is alert or one that watches. And so I have a friend that's, named Greg and he always reminds me about that. (laughs) I told him though, I said, you don't want to compare your name with mine. He says, Why? I said, My name is Michael. And I just left it at that. (laughs) I just you know, see what happens when you get pompous. Of course this is all done in jest. I shouldn't tell you that, you're gonna think we strut about with our names. Okay, uh, like I said, I don't want to start that because I couldn't get into it very far. But that's enough to chew on for tonight, and we will continue this next Thursday. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have given us your great and wonderful and mighty promises and that we are to be eagerly, eagerly anticipating our large return. And we're so thankful for Your grace. We're so thankful for Your plan. And we're thankful that You have revealed these things to us so we can give You more praise and glory and adoration for Your matchless grace directed towards us. Help us to think on these things, connect the dots, and give You praise and glory for it is richly deserved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.